Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Dalton. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, midwife, and full-spectrum female. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida, at the practice of midwife love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama, and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Lorelai, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. I love your name. I want to know more about you. I'm hoping that you could just give us a little overview um, about, obviously, your career, your professional history, as well as the organization that you started and and what that's all about, what you're doing right now. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And I'm, I'm <laughs> if I come across as a little... Uh out there. It's, I am exhausted. I was up most of the night. So, um, you know, know life of a midwife. (laughs) Exactly. You, you, you know, you don't, not sure you can even form words because you're so tired, but yeah. Yeah, Um, I know that feeling. You do. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I am, um, I'm a nurse midwife based in Vermont. Um, I started off though in the mid eighties as a direct entry midwife. This was long before CPMs, they didn't even exist. And um, so I had, I went to a school in California that um, the person that was teaching it got arrested for teaching midwifery. You know, that's that's how far back it goes. And then I had an wow. amazing friendship. Um, so that was my sort of foray into midwifery. And then, um, you know, for a number of reasons that a lot of us do, wanted something different, needed something more sustainable with a family, um, not only financially, but just time-wise. And so I became an RN and had an amazing, wonderful experience doing that. And then um, finally pursued my CNM because that was always in the back of my head, but you know, you get busy. And so I did that about uh, 12 years ago. I, I finished that. So that's how- Wow, well, so tell me about the organization that you've now started. Yeah, so Midwife Pilgrim was started in 2015 um, during the Ebola crisis. It's sort of a response. There was a need that was discovered quickly among some of the, well, my husband. (laughs) My husband was working in an Ebola unit and he um, realized that 
these pregnant women or newly postpartum women were coming in and they were, it was just assumed that everything was Ebola, but living with a midwife, he realized, no, that isn't necessarily true. And he was very, very concerned. So he would often call me in the middle of the night and say, what, how should we be doing it differently? Um, sometimes the people he was working with were like, oh, that's a great idea. We will. And other times they weren't, but the director noticed and said, what, you know, what are you doing? And so then they contacted me and we came up with some guidelines for them to help them sort of differentiate or kind of work together. It is sometimes hard to differentiate certain symptoms from other symptoms, but to make sure that that was, um, considered or, or a big part of it, you know, that, yeah, if you have a newly postpartum woman, they're going to be bleeding. If they're feverish, yeah. it may not be Ebola. There really could be something else that needs to be addressed, you yeah. know, things of that nature. So that was, um, where, and right then is when the um, earthquake in Nepal happened at the right around the mm -hmm. same time. And so, uh, some friends of mine and I had already been talking about wanting to do more, globally focused work or, you know, what were the needs? And then this sort of fell into my lap and we all got together and said, yeah, let's start this. Um, and it was also because too, we, we realized that it is a specialty work as you know, and um, you know, it's, it's also very hard to get into. So if you, are single with no children and have no expenses at all, sure, you can give six months to a year. Um, if you have certain education levels, you know, you're, you're more, and, and with reason, I mean, because there's different offerings and different issues in different places, but, um, you know, or if you had the money, you know, if you could pay your way to go someplace and help, that's great, but most midwives that I know absolutely can't, you know, it's, you know, we can't take time off from work to then pay for an experience. You know, we may be able to take time off from work to cover our expenses, but then to pay on top of it. You know, so things of like that, or it was who you knew if you had an in, um, you know, and so that was sort of frustrating for us. And I think we, we strived originally to be more of that network, to be that who you know you know, to say, okay, let's hook you up. Here's an NGO that needs this help. Here's a midwife that has these skills. How can we connect the two? Um, and that was, is a big part of what our role is sort of like a middleman, I guess, or a middle woman, you can say. And so um, do you have a pool of midwives that you call on? Is it, is yeah. it people who've worked with you before? How does it work? Right. So that's, that's a good question. Um, we have a large um, number of people who have gone through our registry process, and it's actually a very simple registry process, but it is something we feel strongly about. It has certain educational modalities on it that we require, totally free, but we require. And um, so once you kind of complete all of that, you're on our, our registry. And then, yeah, if, um, if something comes up, we may contact you and say, hey, this organization, or we'll pass on your that information to certain organizations as they reach out to us. Um, the, it, the interesting part is this has been going on for a number of years. And so a lot of the information we have is way outdated. You know, we don't have email addresses for everybody, you know, a lot of their, you know, so it, we've, that part, we, I wish we had like a way to just 
put out a group thing and we kind of do, but I'm going to be honest. It's um, we are not one of those big NGOs that makes a lot of money and hires people. There's literally not one paid person, um, myself included. So every bit of work that is done is strictly by volunteers. And so there's a point where like, no, I just can't this is too much for me right now, or this is too much for them. Like, we're just not, we can't do that. The pandemic also sort of halted everything anyways. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that, and so we're, we're in the process of actually refocusing what, what do we want to focus on? Um, And we just had a meeting about that. And so that's going to be something we're looking at going into the future. Uh, This will still be part of it. I I love the fact that that some NGOs, some actually very large NGOs reach out to us when they need midwives and will say, do you know anybody, you know, can you get us somebody? At the same Mm -hmm. time, we're realizing that it is such a specialty work and that a lot of people don't understand exactly what it is it also varies from area to area what you what may be needed in this situation is going to be very different than in this situation and that education actually is the biggest part um a lot of midwives feel like oh well i have this home birth background and i'll be great and it's like it it, it's not that easy and some people it really is and other people struggle and that's okay um if we feel if they could be better prepared they could serve better and so we're, we're looking mm. at So where, where have, where, where has Midwife Pilgrim served in the past? Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is one of those questions that when I'm going on no sleep, I, uh, I could, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go on my computer. Hold on. <laughs> tell you. I mean, That's totally okay. The, uh, the, uh, yeah. Isn't that awful? Um, no, that's not awful. When you manage so much and you're sleep deprived, you sometimes just need a moment and a second brain. The computer is definitely my second brain. Right. I know it's, it's wonderful and terrible at the same time. So, um, we, I think Bangladesh was our biggest, um, endeavor that we've done. We had a lot of support from the host organization there. Hope Foundation, and um, we sent a lot of midwives there, and we were there for a long time. There was a lot of education involved. Refugee work in Turkey and Greece, um, Haiti. Uh, we've been, uh, we sent somebody to Haiti. In Nepal, we went, we mainly did assessments, you know, the curriculum development in Sierra Leone, um, things like that. Where else? Uh, yeah, most of the work we've done has been more refugee work. So Greece, Turkey, there was another place. Oh, Lebanon, sorry. I knew there was uh, someplace else. We've supported okay. work in Iraq. Um, not so much sending volunteers as much as helping uh, financial support when we could, uh, though we would send volunteers if, if we could. And we also raised money in Beirut um, after the bombing there, things like that. And then we have a um, some work in Kenya we're doing. We work with one clinic. We've been consistently working with them for a number of years, supporting them with education. Um, and they they let us go um, and and watch them and learn from them, which is pretty wonderful. And then they Amazing. also. Um, in Northern Kenya, one of the people that work at that clinic in Kenya started her own or felt this drive to um, 
out of her own experience uh, as a young girl starting her periods and, and how she had to stop school, you know, all of those things. So she has started to make hygiene kits for her village and that area. I know she's amazing. And so all, all the people that work at this um, clinic in, in Nairobi, it's in the second poorest uh, neighborhood in Nairobi and there. It's, it's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And so, uh, yeah, so we're very proud of, of the work that she's been doing too, and we try to support that. So that's, that's awesome. Well, Lorelai, have you personally been to any of these places? Or are you just busy in the administrative yeah. place, placing people? Yeah, well, so I was the one that developed that curriculum in Sierra Leone. I did go to Nepal for an assessment um, just to see it was right after the earthquake. And, and it was really good. I was able to do a lot of education at that point that, um, you may not have been aware when it happened, it was it was pretty devastating to a lot of places and a lot of the villages. And they took these uh, new grad nurses and gave them a three day course in maternity and were putting them in these places. They were desperate. And so I spent um, some time with a, a group of these uh, nurses really, it, and it was actually fun. They were very young and very new and terrified and just, drilling them. Okay, let's talk shoulder dystocia. Let's talk hemorrhage, you know, and just kind of doing that and over and over and over to give them a sense so that they felt like they had it, you know, that part. Going around and seeing what the other needs were. What was interesting about that is the international community really stepped up. And so a lot of supplies were not needed. And they actually, other than needing mentors, did not need midwives. And this is where we learned that um, we also have to be selective too, because you get a lot of people that want to catch babies. That is their goal. I want to go and catch babies. And we're like, no, we need you to step back and teach, but we need you to be hands-off unless there's a dire emergency. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, not only is it better for their education of, of the local staff, but there's legal reasons and, and there's, you know, sort of political reasons you have to take into account. And so that was also a Absolutely. new- And not to mention like social justice reasons. Like I feel really passionately about this too, is that we need culturally matched care. People who look right. and sound like the people they're taking care of, it makes all the difference. And the next studies show that it, it ends up in safer outcomes too. I, I love that that's your focus. It's a huge focus of my work as well. Awesome. So yeah, so yeah. we, so we, it was, that was a very interesting aspect for me to learn, like, oh, okay, this is a part of it that I wasn't realizing, would be. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, and so having to say, sorry, you don't make a registry. But um, yeah. so, so I was in Nepal, I was in Greece several times. And um, on a couple of the islands, very, very busy. Um, you know, and so that was an eye opener. And then I was the first one that went to Bangladesh and that was right when the Rohingya had had the mass exodus. So there were no other NGOs really there. I mean, the NGOs that were already in place from years before were there. And then Hope Foundation that has a hospital right there, they stepped up. They were the only ones there at the time other than some food organizations. You know, within a couple months it had expanded, but it was, um, it was, it was huge. It was, it was huge. Wow. Uh, the amount of work and the need. And I was so impressed with everything that everybody on the ground was trying to do and, and how they were doing it. And, and um, but it was also, yeah. you know, we talk about in this work, I don't know if, if you're familiar with it, like there's always something that kind of breaks you. 
you know, like you, you feel like you're tough and you can handle it and you have this sympathy and a lot of sadness and a lot of love and compassion, but there's something that just takes away. You're like, oh my gosh, is this a human race? Like, how can we as humans be this? And I think, um, like I have one friend, it was actually Hurricane Katrina, believe it or not. And, and working in New Orleans that, that totally like, you know, did it for her and other people were, you know, Lebanon, Iraq and, and Bangladesh was for me, like, I just am still in shock at what I, the stories I heard and, and witnessed and saw and, and yeah. So, but, um, but wow. we were able to help send a lot of um, people there, which was really good. And, and it is good. Um, yes. Yeah. Local, you know, yeah. making sure local midwives, they were new grads, you know, making sure they have the support they needed to do the work they did. Yeah. And education is, is yeah. a, still a, a big focus of them, of theirs. Yeah. 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 And uh, the work continues, of course. Well, so I understand that your organization is now preparing for helping Ukraine. Can you tell me about what you're doing? Yeah. So we, we got a request um, that some groups were going in and wanting to focus on sexual and reproductive health, which is really important, and reach out to us. So we, we actually have gotten those needs covered. Um, we don't know what the future is going to be. And the reality is, is um, and this was border work, so Poland, um, can't even think of Moldova, um, you know, the, the, the border countries. And there are a lot of very small NGOs working within those areas as well. Um, I wish I had contact with them because those are the ones that need to know hey, you need sexual reproductive health. And that's another big part of our focus is making sure, like we did with that initial one in Sierra Leone during Ebola, you, you have to look at the whole picture. You can't just have people come in and say, okay, we're gonna look at this, especially when you have a huge population of women showing up um, and you don't have people that, that understand that kind of focus, you're gonna miss a lot of things. You're gonna not know the questions to ask. You're gonna, and we've, we've seen stories, we've had stories, not so much in Ukraine, but um, in Haiti even, and in Greece of physicians that, you know, just, you know, like for example, this uh, 32-week pregnant woman who with severe hypertension, who told her it was just stress and sent her home. You know, it's like, you just want to like, no, why would you do that? You know, things like that. So trying to, or, or you know, women with UTI symptoms, it's like, you have to know that, okay, you don't have a lab here. So yeah, you're going to treat it. And how are you going to treat it? And how are you going to help them? And and, uh, and I do see a larger, in the last few years, I think because of a lot of media and social media type of things, gender-based violence has been a good, a, a huge focus, which is really good. But gender-based violence, violence is one part of sexual and reproductive health and they need to incorporate the whole thing. So I see these NGOs saying, oh, and we do GBV. And it's like, yeah, but what about the rest? So I, we try to advocate whenever we can, we try to mention it and, um, and that's actually a lot of our work in Greece and Turkey was, you know, reaching out or or finding these organizations or being there, work, seeing these organizations and saying, hey, and they're like, oh, my gosh, yes, please. You know, and then starting to, you know, develop relationships with them over that. So um, that's a, a big part of what we try to do, too, to advocate for that. Um, unfortunately, wow. it's still, you know, the one piece that's missing with women's health. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, tell us a story. Tell us um, um, a story about um, somewhere where you've been or um, helped place someone of kind of the realities of humanitarian aid work from a midwifery perspective here. Like what, what do you remember most about your last trip or what's a memorable birth story you remember? Hmm, what do I remember? Um, I mean, I could speak more about my own memories than other people's memories. Yeah, uh, so, though I have some interesting stories that show what some of the things that, well, the, the story I want to share first is one to explain what it takes to do this work. And it's not my story. And this is an, a midwife who um, was recruited to go to Bangladesh. And uh, had said that she had a lot of experience in other countries and understood that sometimes you don't have a translator, but that's not a problem. She's used to that, you know, all of that, right? And my thought is needs are needs. You know, yes, we have a specialty and our specialty, you know, is midwifery um, or GYN or, you know, some aspect of that. But when there is a need, you don't just say, oh, that's not my job. You know, we, I, you know, I would hope we don't have that kind of, um, I, I, I consider it a kind of arrogance. And this, I get a call, and this was the only bad experience that I had. Well, no, I had several, but the only like first real negative experience was sending a midwife. She, um, because all of the other experiences sending midwives anywhere were just, you know, I, one midwife on Hios who realized the biggest issue was hygiene and she raised funds for a porta potty and a, and a washing station for people, you know, when they got off the boats, it's like, you know, things that are important. And she called me really angry because she was bored. Now she is in a refugee cramp with 1 million people. There is no way you can be bored in a refugee camp with 1 million people unless you have your eyes closed and you're sitting there. And her complaint was that all of the local midwives were taking care of the, the women and she didn't feel like she had anything to do. And I just, I was like, you need to leave. I need to get you out of there because you don't, you have no business being there. You know, there is so much to do, whether it is holding somebody's hand or playing with children so that the mom can get a break or going around and seeing, is anybody hungry? There are, you know, the food lines were so big, not everybody could stand in them. And if they missed it, they missed it. You know, like there's no reason to ever be poor in, in this work, whatever it is. So, so, you know, kind of. Wow, um, that's so intense. And that's, I mean, entitlement is like everywhere, but when it's really on display, it's so hard to see. Right. Oh, but it also was, it, it was a good lesson for us because it made us, when we do our interviews, it was another part of the question or, or in our interview process, the questions that we would ask, you know, um, all right. Do you realize that you may be sweeping floors or cleaning toilets or digging a latrine. Oh, I have no idea. But if, if you're there to serve, you're there to serve. And, and if that's something that you're not willing to do, then maybe this isn't quite where you should be and, and not judge them on that, you know, just because if it's, I want them to be able to look deep inside themselves and say, you know what? No, I can't do this. And then back out on their own. Not and then, me. okay. Yeah. And, you know, I, yeah. It's better to yeah. be able to do that, but that's a hard thing to do. Um, yeah. So, so there was that. That was one story. But the other stories around that is one of our midwives who had no experience anywhere at all. Um, 
and I was actually more nervous about her because she was nervous and didn't know if she could hack it. Gosh, total rock star, you know, and went and she organized all of these uh, funding and, and got these solar panels set up for these tents so that they would have further electricity and things, you know, so totally different types of, um, of wow. experiences there. Um, wow. But yeah, humanitarian work is so extensive. Like it's not just medical, it's social and socioeconomic and environmental and mental and conscious and spiritual, like everything is involved. Everything. And, and sometimes it's literally just sitting down with somebody and having a cup of tea with them because they right. are alone. And just right. it, even if you don't speak the language, you know, it's helping them to feel safe that they're not alone. It's helping you to develop a relationship so that you're more welcome and, and that you can offer more, you know, it's everything. So, you know, it's wow. that. But wow. there, you know, some of this work is boring. You know, it's, it's most of it is GYN. It is not catching babies. Um, in the areas where it is catching babies with few exceptions, it should be um, teaching and um, and mentoring uh, as well as, you know, and, and I think that doesn't mean you're not hands-on too, because sometimes that's what they need. They need to have you show them how to somersault a baby so you're not clamping and cutting every, you know, things like that. And like, oh no, we're not gonna do an episiotomy. We are gonna, let's just, let me show you how to, you know, do this. So that's a big part of it, right? But a lot of it is reproductive health in general. So GYN. Um, and that's where it gets hard because if you don't have that experience, you need to, how do I say this? You know how you don't know what you don't know? So if you don't realize you're missing something, you just, it's like that doc in Haiti who's like, oh, it's just stress. So if you don't know that you're missing something, you're just not going to realize that. But so like knowing, you know, your basic GYN, um, we have everybody go through the MISP. Are, I, are, are you familiar with that? It's um, so I, Augustine, you got to look at this. It's the minimal initial service package uh, for crisis situations. And it really, it's the standard of care um, globally for crisis and disaster situations for sexual and reproductive health. So, and, and who creates this? Well, it's the um, IAWG that I'll send you the link. Uh, they're a group of a whole bunch of different organizations, um, governmental and non-governmental who came up with this uh, years ago. And, um, and I've seen in action is very impressive. It can be a little bit overwhelming as you're going through the training program, but when you actually see it and work, you're like, whoa, it works. So it's, it's, you know, what medications are needed for this, you know, because let's face it, especially, sadly, um, you know, sexual assault is huge. So you need to know how are we gonna treat sexual assaults? Um, what do we order? How do we order? How do we assess people for these sorts of situations? Who is in charge? Making sure somebody is in charge of that. So I saw it really in play in Nepal and in um, Bangladesh and, and it works, it really works. But so, the, you know, just sort of starting with that, but then expanding from there to whether it's UTIs, skin conditions are huge. As you can imagine in refugee situations, people living together in close quarters, um, parasites are gonna be huge too. You know, you just gotta learn how to be able to recognize it and how to treat it. 
you know, things of like that. And even if you don't have prescription privileges yourself, but there's somebody nearby, you can be a huge help if you can be the one to say, okay, this is that, let's get it, you know, and, and, and be that triage person for that to make things go. Amazing. So um, tell me about um, uh, a scene, either GYN or OB that you had when you were serving in the field, as it were. Oh, I mean, you get a lot of UTIs, um, you know, and, and that makes sense too, because people, there's no place to go to the bathroom, especially in a lot of cultures, you're certainly not going to just go anywhere. You know, you, there's a lot more modesty involved and you, they feel um, a little more self-conscious. So you hold everything in more UTIs, things of that nature. Um, I think, I mean, I have horror stories of, um, I think the you hardest, share. yeah, I'm trying to say this, the hardest story I ever had, and this was one we couldn't treat or, you know, for a variety of reasons. And it's still, I still kind of have like nightmares and wonder and worry, but this was a 13 year old girl who had been gang raped. Um, and then they got out with her family. Now she became pregnant. And what's interesting in her culture was, you know, if, if you're pregnant, it's your fault. So you're, you're to blame, you know, if you're raped, it's, you're now the, the one who's struggling. So she did not want to be pregnant at all, but she was in a place where it was too late to offer her any treatment to terminate the pregnancy at that point. And her parents also did not want her to terminate the pregnancy. Um, but she was absolutely desperate. And there was really little we could do legally um, because of where we were out with her. And uh, she was you know, hoping that her parents were trying to find someone who was willing to marry her right then. And, but she also physically was, she was very, very, um, you know, she wasn't physically mature enough to give birth. Like, I'm not sure how any of this worked or helped, you know, and, and the whole thing still just breaks my heart because I wish we had more options for her. This is another part, you know, I think we also have to look at our own moral aspects around safe abortion care. So whether it is, you know, if we're against it, that that is fine. That's your own personal. But if you're in a situation where somebody is asking you for this care, and this is part of the IMS, MISP, um, you either have to be willing to provide it or have somebody nearby who's willing to provide it because that is a surface that is really vitally important. And had we been anywhere else, there were more options for her that we could have offered her. Um, and we just were not able to. I worried for her, her mental health. I, I actually felt she was suicidal and was very, very worried about her. And, and I have no idea whatever happened to her. It's and so hard. It is hard. And a lot of people also are, are this idea, well, once you meet the baby, you bond. No, it doesn't work that way. It absolutely- Not always, not always. Yeah. You can count on that. And, and if anything, you know, especially it, it, and if she ends up with a traumatic delivery because her pelvis isn't quite, you know, like who knows, like, yeah, it could be so, I, so that was one really hard story, but I've also been in places where I carry, when I go places, I bring 
everything that I can. Like I just bags of every, you know, whether it's antibiotics, peridium to help for UTI symptoms, because let's face it, they're miserable. You know, you don't want to suffer through that. I also bring pregnancy tests, things like that. And there was one couple um, newly married and they were on one, just landed on one of the islands of Greece. And I was able to tell them they were pregnant and it was, they were so happy because they had literally just lost everything. They were fleeing from Syria, but they, and then ended up in Turkey and made it there, but they felt like that was a sign that they were doing the right thing. And they were, um, you know, that there was hope now, even though they didn't know, even know where they were going to go. And it was just this really sweet moment, you know, to be able to mm. offer them this, this hope, you know, I think many of us can picture um, clients on our exam tables or on birth room beds, uh, you know, hearing the heartbeat for the first time and that joy that washes over a couple, you know, you could be anywhere in the world and sharing that hope and that wonder, right? Even a refugee camp could have that moment. That's really beautiful. Yeah. You know, or absolutely. Another interesting story I had, remember I said Bangladesh is the one, I, I think I have more, that was also the most, my most recent big trip. So I think that's why I also, um, you know, there are a lot of women that were very flat and mm. I probably will start crying. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, they, you know, and you would see them and they were lovely and, and it was, but they were, there was this flatness to them. They were, bro they were broken, absolutely broken. And like a flat and, affect. A flat affect. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you would hear their stories and you just would be like, how can anybody have survived what they went through? Like it was un unreal, the atrocities that, that were occurring. And, but one woman came to the clinic and, and she shared this story of, uh, you know, her, all of her children, she had sons and her husband's, the whole village, they were for, forced outside. And then she and her daughters were raped in front of them. And then they forced them to watch them execute her whole family. Right. Yeah. Right. How do you even, how do you even get through that? Right. But what was, <laughs> sorry, she started wailing, like wailing, crying. And I think we sat there for an hour, just sobbing and sobbing. And I think um, she was the one I had the most hope for. Like she, you know what I mean? Like I felt like she wasn't- Could really, let it out of her body. She could let it out of her body. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> as you, uh, <laughs> these kind of stories are hard. And that's, you know, that was one area, but you know, Bangladesh, you heard, not, not Bangladesh, like Greece, you didn't necessarily hear those kind of atrocities, but you know, these people that lost everything and lost their families and their husbands and this, you know, all of it is senseless. And, you know, I'm you know looking at Ukraine now and um, I just, it's senseless all of it. And I, I just, my heart breaks for everybody, you know, not only the Ukrainians, but I, I also have a lot of sympathy for the Russian soldiers who have been brainwashed and are young and have no clue. You know, it's just all of it yeah. is beyond yeah. understanding. Well, you know, when it's a natural disaster, there's, there's some part of us that can go like, this is the nature of this planet we live on. Right. Like, right. Uh, right. But when it's, when it's human on human violence, it's, it is so senseless. It's so hard to make any 
Yeah. Yeah. Can I just, my husband is, can I just message him quickly? Do you mind? Of course. Of course. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, because, yeah, so as you know, he is in Ukraine right now and, um, um, yeah, get getting get any update you can and come back. Yeah, I'm getting an update. I've been up. Yes. Okay. So he unfortunately this is a midwife who works full time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was, yeah, no, he's been in Kiev and they, his team's been doing interesting work up in Irpin. Um, but um, now they're actually heading east and I'm a little worried. So, uh, yeah. Can you tell me um, what is his specialty? He's an ER nurse, um, paramedic. Mm -hmm. So he's mm -hmm. doing ambulance work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, triage. Trauma. And he's with what organization? Uh, Go Docs, uh, Global Outreach Doctors. Yeah, okay. but they've hooked up with a Ukrainian organization there that we actually can't quite uh, translate. <laughs> Yeah, none of our translators will work. I can I can get it as close as humanity help, but um, but yeah, and so they're they're and I they're doing amazing work and and it's a huge, huge organization. Very clearly have a lot of influence um, within Ukraine. Uh, the yeah. amount of money that that seems to be flying around is is astounding. So. Yeah. So can, can, does he tell you anything about what it's like in Kiev? Um, he says it's eerily quiet. You know, it's just a strange, um, you know, there's this curfew and everything is totally quiet. And then during the day, very few people are out. He was more central. It's the suburbs that have been really hit hard. And so that's where they went two days ago because yeah. um, they were able to get in with some food and, and medical treatment and stuff. But um, and now Russia has backed off. So Ukraine has totally taken over, but you may have heard what they left behind, like the horrible things that were left behind in Urban and Busha and stuff like that. So yeah, so they're, they went up in that area just two days ago. Um, and does midwife pilgrim plan to go into Ukraine at all or not at this point? No. So remember, we don't really go in. We just um, yeah. they, support I mean, other organizations. Yeah. Support other organizations with a few exceptions. Like we do go into Kenya maybe uh, because they've asked us to be in that role. But we um, right now, I, it's not they don't really want people to come in just to go, you know, the hospital is still our staff. So one of the questions you had emailed me about is what have I heard? And I haven't heard a lot, but you do hear more and more, you know, and so the hospitals are still mm -hmm. running. Um, I think everybody is exhausted and, um, but it seems mm -hmm. like the staff mm -hmm. has all stayed um, to make sure that the, the care is still there, even if they are moving to a different building or, or underground or wherever they're going. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, some places are able to, especially within Kiev, they're able to get equipment mm -hmm. and supplies in other places, not so much. And that's where it gets really hard when you think about like Mary Opal, it's it, obviously tragic and Kharkiv and things like that. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I have been hearing that there's, I don't know if you read the article that it seems to be a lot of, a uh, lot more preterm deliveries, which kind of makes sense from a stress level. So, it sure does. Yeah, mm -hmm. things of that nature. And, mm -hmm. uh, but unless there was an, you know, somebody said, listen, we are here and we really need help and we're safe. I, I yeah, I also, because I don't want to be part of that security measure because I, I you know, we wouldn't even know how it has to be safe for people. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, before I would, I personally would step in as. Are you in touch with any midwives in that region? Do you know? I mean, I don't think home birth was happening before. Is it happening now? So, Katya, remember the the midwife that I we were uh, emailing back and forth. She is. I mean, so she is in touch with people, but I haven't heard back from her how or what. Yeah. So I don't know I no more. I mean, I've gotten a few. So I have another friend that used to live in Ukraine. And she, um, she was in touch with a lactation consultant there who works in a place. And, you know, so she sent me some updates from her, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it sounds like a lot of their work, especially at the beginning, when areas were getting attacked were, um, were less lactation and more just general, you know, um, you know, working on wound care, things of that nature you know, stuff like yeah. that. And that, but the women are still, were still getting the help they needed. They were still delivering and obviously breastfeeding in any of these kind of situations is going to be paramount that that is encouraged, yeah. so, especially among women that may have been considering not breastfeeding before it's really being pushed now. Yeah. That's yeah, definitely. Thing that it's hard to teach women. So not teach women, but to, to explain to midwives that, um, that for a lot of refugees that are coming in, they may be six months, their children may be 18 months. Like we have no idea, but if they weren't breastfeeding, we're, they're not gonna relactate. That's not an option. So we have to understand how to help support them. But there's this idea that, oh, well, they'll just relactate or somebody else can feed the baby. But if you're feeding your own baby and you don't have enough food supply and you don't have enough water, you're, you're not going to be able to feed other babies too. And so it can get very complicated. And, you know, the good news is, is that all the babies being born now are being, you know, 100% encouraged to breastfeed as you know, much as possible to ensure that adequate milk supply. But prior to that, if it hadn't happened, it is more tricky. And this yeah, is a culture definitely. too that, you know, it's, it's, you know, these are big, huge cities, I mean, of millions of people, you, you know, and it's sort of that trend here, you know, we, we have, I would think we'd have a much higher breastfeeding rate than we do, you know, and it's the same everywhere in the world, um, especially yeah. with there's a partly a marketing of, yeah, there's the partly market this of marketing formula. of breast, breastfeeding, sub, breast milk substitutes, and then the convenience factor, and then, you know, women in the workforce, and, you know, there's, well, a yeah. lot of reasons. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And so it's, uh, yeah, so that's one of the things that has been happening, but she said that they're really working hard on, on making sure that everybody's getting the support and, um, you know, and just keep waiting for the, uh, various, uh, supplies and resources to arrive as, as needed. And like I said, you can get into Kiev, though they, I think they were trying to shut it down. Some of the, some of the roads were becoming unsafe, but there's still ways of getting in there. Um, and then, you know, from there, but getting it to the other places, that's going to be the tricky part. So, yeah. Well, so you, earlier you, in our conversation, you mentioned that when you're in one of these disaster zones or, you know, um, refugee camps, that every midwife kind of has their breaking point. They see something, they hear something, and they, they just kind of are like, what is this world? What even is humanity? What am I doing? That kind of thing. Um, you've obviously faced this yourself and you face this counseling folks in your network who you send out and I'm sure receive back. Uh, how do you counsel them? How, how do you deal with that kind of reality? Yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, we try to have the briefings after, 
but it's but like most midwives, when they get back from any type of um, deployment that they've done, they hop right into family and work again. You know, and so it's like you're busy, busy, busy. Um, you know, hopefully we try to have people if situations arise that are really difficult to to deal with mentally or even physically. You know that that we can be there for support, um, like a WhatsApp phone call away. You know, or or. Um, and whatever organization they're with, you know, making sure that they have that kind of supportive, try to, you know, understanding as well. I also encourage volunteers that, and this is hard when it is really busy. And I don't, I can't say that I would necessarily be able to do it myself, but I do encourage, depending on where you are, um, to take a day or two off, you know, like if you, you know, and just relax go, go sightsee, you know, go see the community you're working with in a way from a tourist perspective, like do something totally outside that is so different than what you're doing now to gain a little bit of perspective that this is not all there is. Again, there is a whole other world. It's not all this trauma. And, um, and sometimes that's easier to do emotionally and other times it's harder to do emotionally because then it makes it even worse, you know, but, but I think it's important to realize, okay, we have, this is one thing that's happening and it's absolutely unacceptable, but that is not the whole world, you know, and, and if you can step away, whatever that takes to step away for a day or two, I think it, it can be vital for yourself and for those you serve, you need to be able to get that break. Plus there's a physical exhaustion that happens and we all know that mistakes are made more when you're really, really tired and, um, and we want to avoid that. The other thing is learning, you know, there's a, a lot of guilt. I think, you know, how, why and how we all get into this work, it's different for everybody. But I think there is a part of us that just feels, for many of us, that we have so much. What can we do to offer more for those that, that don't? And, and it's our way of trying to offer a little equity into this very, um, you know, big world of inequalities. And so, Sometimes that is accompanied by guilt. Sometimes it's accompanied by um, feelings of, you know, just immense sadness. So, you know, there sometimes there's a lot of anger involved. And so learning how to, I think there's a part that everybody has to come to that, okay, it's true. I was born into this world who I am. And you know what? That is so lucky. That is absolute luck. And, um, and it's okay. I, you know, there's no shame in who I was born into being, you know, I can be fully who I am and be okay with that. And then the next step though is, so what can I get back? You know, and learning how to do that, I think is really important. Mm. Yeah, it, you know, when you face those kinds of atrocities or challenges in your own life or seeing the suffering of others, you know, that, that practice of gratitude is, is really one of the most healing things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you no, know, and it's not that different mm -hmm. in the U.S. There's a lot of sexual violence here. There's a lot of, you know, gender-based violence. There's a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, very disrespectful care and health inequities, even within our so-called amazing country, right? So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you can certainly even see it within our own communities. So, Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think, and I think well, so, like yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, it's like, 
an important value and one I've always tried to even with my children you know it's like I don't you know the story of Miss Rumpheus the Lupin lady yes she's my favorite book ever yeah I am living her life I have battered my life after that children's book (laughs) you and me both (laughs) except I don't have my house by the sea yet and um, I don't have my house by the sea yet either because we're not crones yet we're still in this like work phase right (laughs) But, but that's where I'm that, headed towards. Maybe our, our houses can be nearby. I'll wave at you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But, uh, hmm. but I do feel like we have to make the world a more beautiful place. And for some people, it's planting lupins. And for other people, it's doing this work. And, you know, and we all have to find what it is that, that does that. And I think it's a really important. Um, gosh, if everybody lived like that, can you imagine the world? You know? Amen. Aho. All of the things. Well, so in all of your travels and all of your outreach and and advocacy work and and training other midwives, what have you learned that you want to share with the general midwifery population? What do we wish they knew that you have found? I think that we need to, that's a good question. Um, There's so many. I think, and this is partly why we just had the meeting the other day of what do what is Pilgrim's focus going to be? Um, because I do want to encourage this work, obviously, but I also want to encourage the preparation for the work and the training for the work, and that and that first there are so many different ways of doing it. Um, just like there's so many paths to midwifery, but that you have to you have to be willing and able before you even jump in to start doing the research. Because if you just jump in thinking, oh, I'm just going to catch babies, you're not gonna be of good service for anybody. There's so much more involved. And so, and at least we have the internet now and Google, right? You can start, I know Mercy in Action has an amazing educational uh, program for people that wanna do global low resource work. But um, you know, we're we're thinking of creating one, maybe. I mean, we're just all of, we have a board of directors that is amazing, but we're busy, and so we, we as an or as a as a business, we we're terrible. But as a vision, I think we're amazing. So um, that that that's is amazing. More- well, do you, I think I think you know um, uh, Christine Laurie, right? Yes, yeah, she's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. Well, she has just created um, a CEU course for how to be a traveling midwife on our platform. I'd love to share it with you. I would love to see that too. Yeah. And then, but, yeah. and, and we have other, th- like, I, I'm a big helping baby survive, helping mothers survive. Like, I feel yeah. like you should yeah. not do this work unless, not should not, but if you do this work, it will change everything for you if you're in interpartal care. But if yeah. you you're a midwife in the U.S. It will. I, I mean, yeah. I'm a midwife in the U.S. Hospital-based, home birth-based, and this stuff comes yeah. in handy. But yeah, also yeah. focusing on the GYN aspect, focusing on the um, tropical med- medicine aspect, you know, malaria, tuberculosis, Zika. We're about uh, to release that Zika. course too. Tropical uh, illnesses for midwives. So you're going to have so good see? resource okay, from Christine. Maybe when I should have met. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll talk to Christine more. Um, cause we've been, we, this is stuff we've been doing all along. We just haven't actually like organized it. We do it with our, when we do our mentorship program, things like that. Of course you would have to, yeah. Before they leave. Yeah, and we want, yeah. you know, we want something that are more, oh, good. I'm glad it's out there. 
We yeah. are. I'll send you links. It's the, she intended it to be not only for individuals, but also for organizations to use it as primer. So we'll, we've got you a, Awesome. Good, uh, access and I love like um, the Global Health Media Project, obviously. Is yeah, good. yeah, it's an amazing project for sure. That's Vermont for based sure. too. They're, they're, cool. Yeah, love and that. And then um, you know, and then other things too, like you know, I love the. Uh, I want to more focus too on um, uh, uh, <laughs> my brain, the 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 uh, VIA, the inspection with acetic acid for Paps. You know, sort of that, and with mm. different various treatment options, things of that nature mm. that also can be of a great service in certain areas. And, you know, just, uh, and, and I'm sure Christine knows, but like, yes, we have had midwives, myself included, who have put IUDs on dirt floors in a tent, you know, like how do we get people to understand sterility and safe, but that you really can do it without stirrups and, you know, all these lights and this, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm, yeah, I love that. Midwives are are such can-do kind of folks. I just really love that. Well, so how can people find and follow you online? Well, we're at midwifepilgrim.org. We are a terrible, uh, mainly because some of us are just older and we don't understand Instagram and this Twitter thing and all of that stuff. So even though I think we have accounts, we, I don't I don't access them. Um, and our, we were realizing the other day that our Facebook presence is very sporadic. Um, though, I mean, we are all on Facebook, but it is, is kind of sporadic. So we're trying to figure that out. And, uh, and it's interesting word of mouth. So like our going to Nepal was they had heard of us. We are brand new and yet they had wow. heard of us and asked us to come to Nepal. And so I do think there uh-huh. is now that is happening that is, uh, you know, slowly over, I think it's what, been seven years now or six years that we've been doing this. Um, the, the last two is such a blur. Uh, no. Definitely. Yeah. Well, so um, if somebody wanted to come work with you, it would be in a volunteer capacity because all of the people you work with are volunteers. Um, it sounds like you could use the social media manager. <laughs> what else? We could use fundraiser like so we have tried to hire someone to do grant writing for us um but and, and just take a percentage of the take we, we don't have the funds to just um and everybody that seems to have said yes i'm going to do it and then we never hear from them again um so yeah those are the sort of things and uh, but first we need to really focus on our mission again we're gonna we're really looking at that and what we're going to be doing um, how we want to go forward, things like that. Uh, we were, uh, some of our programs were like, um, we got ACNM CEUs and they just changed their whole format, um, which is incredibly I frustrating. I know. So are you getting incredibly board? frustrating? No, no we so, cannot. We are not a nonprofit. Okay. Let's talk. We are a nonprofit. Okay, so let's talk. Let's talk. Um, but we just I'm so frustrated by that. I don't know who made that judgment call or what I'm they thought curious. they were accomplishing. And I'm an by... Right. And I'm an ACNM member. Yeah, yeah. But we I are in a, and we have, I mean, I've done a lot of work over the years to get some of our programs to get the CEUs. Um, but we don't have the money. Well, I have a project manager who does all of that. So let's talk because let's we talk. could help each other out somehow. Absolutely, yeah. because our work clearly is the same and and yeah, out there helping the people. Out there well, so I'm just so, so happy to talk with you. I'm so happy to put forward your mission, what you're doing out in the world, make people more aware using our platforms. And I guess um, what really occurred to me while you were speaking and hearing those stories is 
the quote from the Talmud, and I'm just going to read it because I think it's so fascinating, right? Don't be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercifully now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. And that just says everything of what you're doing. And I, I, and I just, it's an off. I will. It's an honor. It's an honor to get to know you. It's an honor to put your mission forward. Thank you for sharing your heart with us tonight. Well, thank and, uh, you. today. Yeah. It's morning here, but uh, where, where yeah, are you? Morning. You're in India? Um, I live in the central part of Southern India. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. only been to India um, once and it was incredibly humbling. And it's an amazing place. Yeah. Yes. Well, Lorelai, I hope we stay in touch. I hope we have other ways that our paths will. can correct. Can, can pass and well, it was connect funny. and all that. I was going to talk to Christine about this workshop we were hoping once the pandemic is totally done, whenever that'll be, like we wanted to set up a workshop and I was going to say, Christine, let's, let's do this. So, but now, um, uh, yeah. But well, Lorelai, awesome. can I tell you a little bit about our conference in November so you can share with your folks if you're at all interested? Oh, please do send it and I can, I can post it around. Awesome. So the Midwifery Wisdom Collective, which is my organization, is hosting our first conference in November in Galveston, Texas. And we have 30 speakers, some of the most experienced midwives in the nation, including Christine Loring, who will be talking on travel midwifery. Uh-huh. Awesome. That is so yeah. great. I'll send you more info. Please do. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'm happy to spread the word. Thank so. you so much. Great. It was an honor to meet you and talk it's to you. It's an honor to meet you and you take care. And um, I'm, I have no doubt our paths will cross again very soon. I hope so. I hope so. Okay, take care. Bye, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye.